Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. Man, I, I feel uh, a couple of things that were laid on my heart this week that I wanted to, um, to, to talk about with you. Kind of two words that came to my heart are these words, recalibrate. Everybody say recalibrate. And recommit. The two words that I feel like the Lord put on my heart, and it's always kind of fun when New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday or New Year's Day falls on a Sunday because it's a time where we really as a church family, um, we can recommit and, and recalibrate. I think this is a word not just for individuals, although I think there's a lot of individuals in the house too that can do this. I think it's also a word for the church as a whole to recalibrate and, and recommit. And I just, I want to say that I feel weight on this uh, this morning. And when I say I feel weight on this, there is weight to our confession in Christ, amen? Like there's weight to, we don't just flippantly say, I'm gonna follow you. And then, you know, we just live our life the way we wanna live it. Um, Jesus is gonna tell us in Luke 15 that when we make a commitment to follow him, he always says this, hey, before you make that commitment, count the cost. You've gotta count the cost. And so I think part of why I feel the weight of our confession today is that I feel like we've, we've, we've made following Jesus the kind of the, the easy thing to do and not the costly thing to do. You guys hear what I'm saying? Now I know that scripture says, and, and I'm all for this, he says, hey, put my yoke on you, it's easy, my burden is light. Yes and amen, it is, it's, a, it's an easy yoke and it's a light burden, praise the Lord for that, but it still has weight to it, amen? It still has weight to it, and so um, I want to talk about these two things because I think that they're important for us as we go forward, and I'm going to give you some challenges at the end of maybe how to um, make some commitments to the Lord for this new year. So I want to talk first about the word recalibrate, recalibrate. So to recalibrate, the definition is to correct or adjust the setting of a piece of precision equipment, to adjust or reset uh, or correct the setting of a piece of precision equipment. And so that's what it looks like to recalibrate something. So for our lives, it's to adjust or correct the way that we think or do something. That's what it looks like to recalibrate our life. And I think the reason that this began to pop up about a month ago I was at the gym um, with a, a guy that I typically get to work out with, and as I was at the gym, I've, I've had some goals, I want to lo- lose a little bit of weight, I want to do these different things, and so I was really excited, we went in the locker room, and I got on the scale, and it said I lost 15 pounds, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and I was like, you're like, obviously you didn't, thanks, um, and so I got on the scale, and I, and I was like, bro, I said, Paul, Paul, man, I, it says I've lost 15 pounds. He's like, really? And I'm like, does that, do, do, I, do, I, do I look like I haven't lost 15 pounds? I don't know how to take that. And he was like, well, I don't know. I'm just saying, does it, you've lost, what do you mean you've lost 15 pounds? You know, in like two weeks, because I just got on the week, a couple weeks before. And so I was like, just what it says. It says I lost. And so I got back on it. I was like, I'm going to see it again. I got back on it. And when I looked at the little calibration on the scale, I realized it got stuck on one of the notches and it didn't, it didn't go all the way over. I'm not going to tell you where I was taking it to, but it didn't go all the way over. And so when I got it recalibrated and set right, I didn't lose 15 pounds. I gained a pound. That's demoralizing. And I was like, oh, and for a moment, a brief moment, I was awesome. 
I felt awesome. My life had changed. I've lost 15 pounds. I didn't do anything, right? Like, everything was wonderful. I would have walked out of the gym believing myself to be physically fit and amazing, right? And then all of a sudden, reality struck me. When I recalibrated the scale, the reality struck me that I not only lost no weight, but I had gained a pound. And all of a sudden, the Lord says something to me in my own spirit on this when I'm looking at this. He's going, we can think we're awesome until we recalibrate, and the Lord shows us things that we've got to lose. Amen? That, that we've got to get rid of, that we've got to reform, that we've got to let go of, whatever it may be. It could be unforgiveness. It could be pride. It could be so many different things in our life that God is trying to recalibrate, but he's recalibrating our hearts in this new year. He's doing a work in us. And, and I feel like there are some things in our life that are hindering our growth. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? There are some things that are hindering our growth. And until we take a look and recalibrate and get this spiritual thing back into alignment, we'll think that we're running this race well and the enemy's going to have a foothold. And so we're trying to break those things off. It's like a GPS in your car. Do you remember the old GPSs when you're going the wrong direction? Recalibrating, recalibrating. And you're like, shut up, I know better, right? And then you're lost. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? This little British voice woman that's on the other line of the phone go, recalibrate. You're like, you don't know. You don't, you're not from America, right? <laughs> and, and so there were so many times where I just shut it off because I knew better. And when I shut it off, here was the thing. I got lost. I stopped listening to that voice recalibrating and I got lost. The Holy Spirit was given to us as that voice go, recalibrate. It's time to recalibrate. It's time to recalibrate. It's time to get back on. And it could be little things, and it could be big things, but there's always a recalibration. Why? Because there's a nature in us that's always trying to veer off the course that the Lord has on us. That we're trying to get off of the course that he's got us on or that he's got us set on. And so if, if we're careful and we listen to that word, recalibrate, recalibrate, the Lord is so kind to get us back on the right track. Amen, church? And so... Um, I want to I talk about what that looks like. In, in, in Ezekiel, we're reminded of this word that he tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26, that he's going to do something in us. He's going to give us something that's going to recalibrate our, our life because the heart in which I have that's not of Christ can't recalibrate. It only knows one thing. It only knows sin, right? It only knows how to get off track. And so... Uh, the Lord gives a word to Ezekiel of what's coming, and it's the prophetic word of Jesus coming and doing something. And he says these words, I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit in you. Because the old heart that you had and the old spirit that you had, when you were living, it only knows one thing, how to get off track. That's all it knows. It only knows one thing, how to live your life away from the things of God. So the Lord says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And so in that moment, what the Lord is saying is, I'm going to put something in you, my heart and my spirit, to constantly recalibrate your heart. Amen? And so when we talk about recalibrating something, there's three parts um, that we have to look at when we're going to recalibrate something. The first thing when you've got to calibrate something or recalibrate something is you have to have a standard. Everybody say standard. The standard is what is it that you're trying to calibrate it to, right? If you're going to recalibrate something, what is it you're trying to get the standard to? Then the second question that you have to ask you is where's that difference at? In other words, where did the deviation come from? Where did I deviate off of the standard? And then the third thing you've got to do is come back into conformity with the standard. You guys hear what I'm saying? 
So there's a standard, there's this deviation or a difference, and then there's coming back to a conformity in that. So let's start with the standard. What is our standard, not just in this year, but even going in to next year? He's going to tell us in Psalm 19. This is David setting the calibration of our hearts to tell us what our standard is. Psalm 19:7. The law of the Lord is refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. Listen, by them your servant is what? Recalibrate, recalibrate. It's the word of the Lord that's recalibrating. It's our standard. Listen to what he says. In keeping them, there is great reward. We're back on track. Look, but he says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive, forgive my hidden faults. This is David saying, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. The standard in which, and you know this, the standard in which we recalibrate our life has to be the word of God. So why are we talking about this? The reason we're talking about this is because we've got to get back as the church and as individuals to the simple gospel again. We've got to get back to the word of God. I get it. We've got lots of books by lots of authors that are amazing. But this has got to be a year of getting back to the word of God. Amen? The greatest author is him. The greatest author is him, and so there's got to be a renewed passion, a, new, a renewed drive to get back into the Word of God. I don't know what your 2023 was. Maybe you dipped into the Word every now and again. Maybe you had a consistent devotional time every single day, but we've got to get back to a standard, and that standard is the Word. It's the only way that we recalibrate is getting back to the Word of God, and here's why. Because the psalmist says this is what happens when we recalibrate by the Word of God. It refreshes our soul. Does anybody need refreshment in their soul? It makes the wise simple. Listen, it makes the wise simple. Does anybody need wisdom from the Lord? It gives joy to the heart. Who needs a little joy in the house? Okay, so what we're doing is we're recalibrating. It gives light to the eyes. Who needs to have the perception of Jesus over the perception of the world? Every single one of us. So this right here is why we're trying to recalibrate our hearts. Because we want these things. We want that refreshment. We want that joy in the heart. We want the wisdom that God has so that we can live our life. Now, here's the problem with the church in America. We've made the gospel and we've made reading scripture, we've made it. And I know this because statistically, there are ridiculous statistics that say 60 to 70% of believers don't even believe it to be the word of God. Right? We've talked about this when we've done sermons on the Word of God. And so here we go. We've defined the Word of God by the things that we like versus the things that we don't like. There's a guy by the name of Shane Pruitt. And this is why we need to recalibrate with the Word of God. Here's what he says. When people say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the Bible, what they're saying is, I love the fake Jesus who I created by my own opinions and preferences, but not the real Jesus described in the Bible. And so this is where we don't have a standard with that. 
That's, that's our own preferences. That's not calibrated the right way. Young people, when we asked 18 and, and younger to stand in the room, you guys were all over the place. This is the line that the world wants to feed you. Create your own version of Jesus that fits your preferences, but that's not the God of the Bible. And so, the Babylonian Bee, anybody like to read that? I like it. It's satire, obviously. It's supposed to be funny and really to take some jabs, right? And so they had a headline that says, I will gladly believe in God if you just show me evidence his opinions are identical to mine. <laughs> right? And this is the way we look at God. We, we want him to align with my opinions rather than us aligning with his. And so that's what we're recalibrating. We're recalibrating our heart to align back with his heart. And that's what we're looking for in 2024. And so here's what Psalm 19 says. This is why the word has to be our calibration. Because the author says in Psalm 19, when we read it, he says his word, his law, his precepts, they are perfect. You calibrate on something that's perfect. They're perfect. They're trustworthy. They're radiant. They're right. They're pure. And they're firm. That means everything else that we try to calibrate our life in, everything else that we try to build our life in that's not the word of God is like shifting sand. You know this, but let's go over it. You try to calibrate your life on money, right? More money, more problems, right? You, you never have enough. You, money brings its own surprise. You try to calibrate your life on relationships. What happens? Nobody's perfect. Somebody's going to mess that thing up, right? You try to calibrate your life on all of these other things, and all of a sudden you realize, I'm trying to calibrate something on shifting sand. But the word of the Lord, I'll read it again, is perfect and trustworthy and radiant and right and pure and firm. Amen? So much so, David's like, let me testify to this for a minute. It's more precious than gold. He's a king. He's got gold. He's got a kingdom. And all the kings of that day and age that were around him have all the other territories. All they wanted was more gold, more land, more possession. It was what was their, their, they were calibrating their hearts on. David says, no, 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 no. The word of the Lord is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, and by them your servant is warned. Meaning I'm going to calibrate my life. I'm going to calibrate this kingdom off of what your word says. And you know what? David saw great success in his kingdom. Amen. And so this is what we know. David's going to say this a few more times in different psalms. He's actually going to invite the Holy Spirit to come into his heart and examine his heart to recalibrate it. The famous one in Psalm 139, 23 that we talk about a lot in here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Recalibrate it. Try me, know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. Psalm 26, 2, he's going to say something similar to that. He's going to say, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and try my heart. This is a prayer of devotion that David is praying. It's a prayer of recalibration. It's recalibrating and asking God to come in and, and use the Holy Spirit to search him and refresh him and forgive him for his sins and to go even further, to say, God, if I've been off in any way, if I've set my heart in any other thing, then recalibrate that thing. And we know what happened to David. In a couple different instances. One, he looked at a woman lustfully when, she was, uh, uh, when he was on his balcony and she was down a bath with Bathsheba. You remember that? And so God had to recalibrate his heart. And it was tough. He went through some tough stuff with that. And then David took a census one time of all of his fighting men. God had to recalibrate him. Do you know how he did that? God said, what do you want? And he gave him three different things. Plagues would come. And it says, an angel of the Lord's army came, and it wiped out a third of the people. That's harsh calibration, amen? 
And so here we are, the Lord's going, hey, I don't want you to have to endure those things. It's time to recalibrate your heart. And so it's a prayer that David is praying. And, and we'll find it in the New Testament as well, because Paul will tell the church in Corinth, hey, examine yourselves and test and see whether or not you are truly in the faith. And when he said that, this is how you're going to know. Here's your calibration. See if Christ Jesus is really in you. See if Christ Jesus is really in you. That word examine in the Greek, what Paul told the Corinthian church, it's to learn the nature or character of someone by submitting them to a thorough and extensive testing. We don't like that. When we invite the Lord, that's why we don't say, Lord, come in and examine my heart very often. Because to examine me means I'm inviting the Lord to come in. If we said, Lord, 2023, 12 hours, come in and examine my heart, we may not like it. But here's what he said. I'm going to read that again. The examine in the Greek means this, to learn the nature or character of someone by submitting them to thorough and extensive testing. As I've gotten older, okay, I have to go to the doctor more often, and they do a little thing called a prostate exam. Anybody in the room? You hear the old people chuckling? They know. He does a thorough examination of my prostate. He says, you're going to feel a little pressure. I go, no, I felt a ton of pressure. <laughs> I didn't like it. But his examination is going to tell me whether or not I've got an issue or I don't have an issue. Amen? If I don't do it, then what could come from it, because I want to avoid the examination, I want to get away from the examination, what could come from it could actually hurt me or even take my life. So you're opening yourself up to go, Lord, I know it's not always pleasant when you come in and you examine and you test me and I go through those things. But to not let you in could derail me that could actually take my life. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, it could take my life. And so you've got the standard then in which we set. So the standard is what? Everybody say the word. The word of God. So we're recalibrating. Now that we've got our standard, where did we get off? What's the deviation? Where did we get off? Scripture is going to give us warning after warning after warning that we can look more like the world than we look like Jesus. And so if we've got a standard, now we've got to look at the deviation of my life. Is my life bent to look more like the world, or is my life bent to be set apart from the world and look more like Jesus? Let me just give you two scriptures on this. Deuteronomy 8, 9. I know there's an Exodus one up there too, but Deuteronomy 18, 9 says... When you enter the land which the Lord God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. Here's what he's saying. We have a problem that the land that we're in, we start to imitate those things. So in America, right, one of the things that we imitate is that we pull ourselves up by our bootstrap and we are very independent in our nature and I can do it and I don't need anybody's help and I don't need anybody to come around me. We've got this pride in America, Amen. We just do. And so we can begin to take on those things. Um, John 15, 19, Jesus is going to tell us, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We should look differently. Amen. We've been, we've been spending more of our time in the church in America trying to conform to look more relevant to the world than to actually say, no, 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 we're supposed to look different so that the world says, I want to conform to them, what Christ looks like. I want to conform to his heart. You guys hear what I'm saying? So 2024, 
This is where we're at again. Is the church going to conform to the world or is the church going to say, no, we are conformed to Christ's image. The world will come to it. So, so once we find our deviation, and the deviation is simply this. Somehow we got off track and started conforming to something else. Then we come to the conformity piece. Romans 12, 2 says, do not what? Conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. We, we talk about this one a lot as well. So the con- conforming is conforming to God's standard, not the world's standard. To God's character, not the world's character. To God's patterns, not the world's patterns. And you know, you know in your heart, you know in your heart if you've been more conforming to the world's patterns or if you've been conforming to God's patterns. And so we got to know this when we're talking about recalibration. There is no middle ground. Listen, there is no neutral territory. If you are a follower of Christ, we're either a conformer or a transformer. Amen? We've got to come into the calibration of his heart. Let me, let me, let me say it like this. Um, we should look more like Jesus in the world, right? Um, it's New Year's resolutions are coming, right? You see all the commercials for weight loss? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? If, if, if I'm representing Jesus, I should look like Jesus. If I've said yes to him, if I've made confession, there should be some weight to that confession. I should look like him. If I'm representing um, Weight Watchers, all right? If I'm representing Weight Watchers, I'm not doing commercials with Krispy Kreme in my hand. It doesn't make sense. That's ludicrous. I'm not repping Weight Watchers going, look at, you know, obviously it didn't work for me, right? But, like, I'm not repping Weight Watchers with Krispy Kreme in my hand and trying to do them both. They, they, don't, they don't correlate. They don't make sense. And yet, there's so many in my own heart as well where I'm trying to represent Jesus with the world in my hands. I'm trying to do both. And one of those isn't going to play out because, as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. And so there's a change that has to come when we begin to make that recalibrated heart towards the Lord. And I think one of the biggest uh, catalysts for that change is once we recalibrate, we recommit. There's a recommitment that we make. And I think this is a recommitment daily. I think it's a recommitment yearly. I think it's a recommitment weekly and monthly. I think there's a recommitment that we need to make. And I'll tell you why. We have commitment issues. We've read this statistic before, but... Over 130 million people will make New Year's resolutions. 10% of people will keep their commitment. 10%. We have commitment issues. And, and I, I, was, I was praying and kind of reading through just the message this week. And, Lord, what, what, is the, what, is, what is it we're missing? Why do we have such commitment issues? And I was like, Lord, what word am I looking for? And the word that came to my heart, it's kind of weird, is the word consummation. We have a consummation problem. And that word consummation is all over in scripture in this identity of us being the bride of Christ and him being the groom. Let me do some work on this for a minute. When that word consummation came to my heart, consummation is that intimacy that you have between a husband and wife. So you go from dating, right, and then you go into engagement, and then you get into marriage, and the way that God had designed it was that you would consummate the marriage. That's intimacy. You would be together. That's where he says, to become one Flesh. Everybody say, to become one flesh. That's consummation. You've consummated your marriage where two become one flesh. You've moved from dating and into that marriage. There was a consummation. You didn't know you were getting a sex talk today, did you? 
oh, Pastor Aaron's talking about sex on New Year's Eve. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. Let me tell you what the definition of consummation is. Consummation is when something is finally complete or finalized. Consummation is when you say there's a consummation of a sale. It means the sale is complete, it's done, it's over. There's a consummation that's not happening in our life with Christ when something is complete or finalized. Why do I bring this up? Because I think we have to be careful in our commitment to Christ that there comes a time where we've moved. We've moved from the courting stage into the dating stage or the dating stage into the courting stage, meaning that we are still dating God at times. You've heard this language. We've talked about it in here where there's times where we're still dating God, but we've never consummated the relationship. We've never said, I'm fully in. Two become one flesh. You're inside of me. I'm inside of you. Two become one flesh. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And so we've dated the Lord, and when you date somebody and you've never consummated it in that marriage relationship, here's what happens. When you date somebody, you can put them off anytime you want. When you date somebody, it's not always a priority to do what they want to do or to be with them. So what we've done is we've spent our time not with a consummation mindset with the Lord, but with a dating relationship with the Lord. And when you have that, what happens is your devotion in him begins to lag. And when your devotion in him begins to lag, the sense of commitment to him begins to fail and fall. Until what happens, you hit a rough patch. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh Lord, no, no, I really do need you. And you begin to date him again. But I believe for 2024, the Lord is calling us into a consummation complete, finished, final. He is in my heart, and my heart is in him. Amen, church. Let me give you an example of this, a testimony of a guy, and why commitment is, is a powerful thing. It was a testimony of a guy who worked in a health club, and he said, when I worked in a health club, I would see thousands of people on New Year's Day, they would come in, thousands of people would come in, and they would sign up for their membership. They were ready, and this began even before. Like, they were probably at home that week going, I've got to make changes, I'm going to get in there, I'm going to, and so they would show up day one, sign up, and they would have all their brand new workout gear on. You know what I'm talking about right? Tags are still on. You're like, oh, I come all the time, right? Liar. New tennis shoes, probably never touch pavement in their life. And he would say, he said, all these people would come in and he says they would get started and very quickly within the first month or two of someone signing up, they would fall in one of two paths. The first path are people who would experience significant amount of change in their life and the other camp would fall into those who even with all the excitement that they had in the world for whatever reason, never ended up experiencing any change. And he said the difference between both of those people, the ones who had experienced change versus those who didn't, was one word, commitment. Commitment. The ones who had made the commitment and showed up and ate right and worked out and did the routines and built a rhythm and were there, they experienced change in their life. The ones who had made the commitment early on but didn't show up maybe once a month and didn't eat right and didn't do the right things, they didn't experience any, any, any kind of change. And he said the one word changed the two paths of those two people. That one word was commitment. But then he said, but then I found something else to be true. Some of these people that were there for a year or two or three years, they were hard workers. They would come in and they were committed and they were seeing gains and life was good and they were healthy and they were in shape. He said there was a group of people that would experience all of this life change. It was great for them and then all of a sudden they would just simply stop. They would lose their commitment. And do you know what happened? He says they would not only stop growing, they would actually regress back into the condition that they were in before. 
And he said, all three of those people represent the church. Those who are ready and they're excited, but they're just not committed. Those who are committed and they're seeing gains. And those who've been committed for a long time, but then something in life just kind of derails you and you just go, I'm just going to stop. Life was good, things were happening, and then I just kind of stopped reading my Bible. Life was good and things were happening, I just kind of stopped coming to church. I just kind of stopped getting in Bible studies. I just kind of stopped community, whatever it is. And he said, and all of a sudden, that person never just stops and stays the same. They always regress back to where they were. <clears throat> why, why is this so important? Because I believe that the book of Revelation gives us a word for this. In Revelation 7, <clears throat> There's a focus on the whole lukewarm, hot, cold, but then you get to Revelation 3.14 about the church of Laodicea, and, and why is it hot, and why is it cold, and, and or why, is, why is it lukewarm and not hot or cold? And he gives this word in verse 19. He says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. What caused them to just stop, what caused them to lose their commitment, what caused them to just shut down, what caused them is something began to enter their heart where they were just indifferent. <clears throat> Here's the definition of indifference. Lack of interest, concern, or importance. I just don't think it's important anymore. I don't come into community because I just don't think it's important anymore. I don't join Bible studies anymore. I just don't think it's not really a concern on my heart anymore. So what happens is that all of a sudden we come, become indifferent to the things of God. Now, here's the thing about that. When we become indifferent to the things of God, our language may not change, but our hearts change. How do I know that? Because Jesus says it in Mark 6, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I can still talk the talk because I know it now. I've been to the gym. I can do shop talk, uh, shop talk with you about gym things. I can talk the talk, but my walk is not the walk. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? So I can say it, but yet my heart is still far from the Lord because indifference has hit me. We, we are people, man, that when we read scripture and we see those who are committed, they experienced things from the Lord. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this word. This is what gets the Lord's attention. Look at the catalyst that gets God's attention. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are what? Fully committed to him. You want to get God's attention? Then make this year a year of commitment. Amen. It's not a year of perfection. Nobody's perfect. We're going to miss the mark. We're going to fall. We're going to mess things up. We're not always going to be perfect at things, but I'm telling you, when you, you and I, when we make this recalibration of our heart and say, God, I'm going to recommit to you in this new year, I'm telling you, God will look and he'll strengthen you. He'll strengthen you. And so we've got to ask hard questions today. We've got a few hours left. In this year of 2023, before we catapult in, here's questions that we should be asking ourselves. Where is my relationship with Jesus right now? That should be the most important question. Look, if, if you are a New Year's resolution person or you're a goal person, it shouldn't be hard for you to have the first thing on your paper. A heart chasing after the Father. It shouldn't be hard. And then everything else won't even be a close second. You need to go about 50 pages deep and then write number two. Because that first thing should be your everything. It should be a heart that is in desperate pursuit of the Lord. Where is my relationship with Jesus right now? Number two, question that we should be asking ourselves, what's holding me back? What's holding me back? Why am I not all in? Do I not believe? Do I have a lot of doubts? And if you do, if you've got some doubts, you've got some problems with unbelief, then start there. Just start there. But you've got to be asking yourself. In other words, put some weight to your confession. 
If you've confessed Christ, put some weight to it. Why or what is holding me back? Number three, am I growing in my faith or am I at a standstill? Am I lukewarm? And look, if you find out that you're lukewarm, okay, you can always grow, amen? But you've got to recognize it first. Why are these questions important? Because we are the creation of a creator. And that creator is coming back for his creation. And how we live our life, I'm going to put a little bit of emphasis on this. How we live our life now and the faith that we have now will determine what that eternity looks like. And we can't play games with that anymore. We can't do the American thing and be like, well, I just think it's all going to turn out well in the end. We know what scripture says. Those who remain faithful to the end. Amen? Those who remain faithful to the end. Press in. Don't lose heart. Don't grow cold. Don't grow weary. We know it. So we can't just sit there and be like, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll just work itself out. He tells us. And we got to love one another enough to put weight to this thing. We got to care about one another enough to put weight to this thing. Are we good? Amen? So what kills, what kills commitment and what kills devotion to the Lord is that complacency and that compromise. And what activates it is pursuit. I've got a bunch of scripture verses I'm not going to get to today. Um, but um, I, want, I want to make some commitments for, for, for 2024. I have a buddy who was in Campus Crusade for Christ, which I see the Coles here. You guys raise your hands. Yeah, Coles. Let's give it up for the Coles. They're part... <clears throat> Of athletes in action, we love them. They're missionaries. Stick around, say hi to them, love on them. Just overwhelm them. They love hugs and kisses, right? Um, especially the kisses part. Um, so, so I have a buddy uh, about five, six uh, years ago uh, up at K-State, Campus Crusade for Christ. He sent me something that, that, that Campus Crusade for Christ puts out, and it's kind of their like, non-negotiables. And when I was going through just preparing for this message, I began to think, Lord, what is some commitments that we can make for 2024? What's some things that we can challenge our hearts for 2024? And I came across what he had sent me, and it's actually seven, it's seven commitments that you and I can make as believers for 2024. But I'm going to just, I'm going to warn you, they're heavy. Number one, seek God and not sin. And you're like, well, duh. Like, what, what do you mean seek God and not sin? Everybody knows that, do we? Do, do we know that? Because we've made sins in, in some normal things in life. We've made sin to be normal in life. Somebody say amen. amen. How do I know that? Because pretty much every dang TV show out there is pornography these days. Yes. But here's what we do. I'm just, I'm going to throw some darts. But here's what we do. We go, no, 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 I like the series. And I know it's got a lot of sexual immorality in there. But I just disregard that. I don't even pay attention to it. Liar! Yes. What do you mean you don't... It's there. It's on the screen. And so what we do is we've normalized sexual immorality, and we've normalized sex, and now we've normalized nakedness, and now we've normalized pornography, and it's crushing our culture. Men and women both. Men and women both. Starting at eight years old, we're hanging out with kids going, saw my first pornography when I was eight years old, and it's destroying their image, and so it's going to destroy their marriage. And we're seeing it. Why? Because we've normalized sin. We've normalized it. So this whole seek God, not sin, everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, duh. Do we know that? What sin have we normalized in life? We only know because we got to go back and recalibrate on God's what? God's word. So here's the thing. Scripture says run from it. 
Don't meddle with it. Don't play with it. Flee from it. Our hearts are naturally prone to wander away at times. Our hearts are naturally prone, and so we've got to constantly recalibrate and recommit our hearts back to the Lord. This is what we see in Amos 5.4. In Amos 5.4, the Lord says, seek me that you will live. Why does he say that? Because the rest of Amos before that, he's going, look, I've sent drought, I've sent pestilence, I've sent famine, I've sent it all, trying to get your heart back too many, and you'll have none of it. Look what he says in Amos 4.11. You have not returned to me. The drought didn't change you, the pestilence didn't change you, the disease didn't change you. You're running the ways that you want to run. And so the Lord says, here's what I'm going to give you, Amos 5.4, seek me and you're going to live. Seek God, not sin. Number two, fear God, not men. Man, this is a tough one. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Look at Proverbs 29.25, the fear of man what? lays a snare, but those who trust the Lord will be safe. Um, do we care more about what men think or women think of us, or do we care more about what God thinks of us? Now, before you answer that, I want you to hear me say, he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Here's a big deal. And you go, I just don't think that would happen to me. I'm pretty solid in my faith. King Saul was appointed by God, and yet he cared more about what the people thought about him than what God thought about him. Let me give you one better. Peter walked with Jesus. Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Peter goes, I'll never deny you. He got caught. Denies him three times. Why? Because he cared more about what the crowd thought about him and what could happen to him than he cared about what Jesus said about him. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew the scriptures, and when they were reading and seeing how Jesus was fulfilling many of those things, they still could not. They could not give themselves over because they feared being kicked out of the synagogues. And so it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they began to believe, they cared more about what men's opinions were than God's opinions. So to sit here and say it can't happen to us is crazy. Fear God, not men. Number three, love God, not the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the object of your affections? What are you chasing after? What's seducing your heart? I want to use that word again. The enemy is always throwing hooks to, to, to seduce your heart. He wants to seduce you into things that may even not be bad or radical things, but just things that are not getting you to press into the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> Love God, not the world. Uh, number four, believe God and not the deceiver. I liked this one. John 8, 44 um, it says that he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What if you said in 2024, I commit to believing God over all the lies? Yes. What if you said that? 2024, this is one of my commitments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to seek God, not sin. 2024, I'm going to fear God, not men. 2024, I'm going to love God, not the world. 2024, I'm going to believe God and not the lies. 
When, when, when the deceiver comes, he comes with a lie. And scripture tells us that he's constantly trying to derail you with those lies. He wants to destroy you. He wants to get you to doubt God's promises. He wants you to get you to run to your past and fear your past. Or he wants to get you to run to your future and fear your future. And so let me say this about, about putting, putting, uh, believing God and, and not the deceiver. It's time to put your past in its place. Amen? Somebody hear this. Paul says this in Philippians. Brothers, I don't consider myself have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead. Put your past in its place. I wonder how many of us have been ruined or crippled by fears and failures of our past. When God has promised us a future ahead of us, make that your commitment for 2024. All right, number five. Make this your commitment for 2024. Obey God and not your appetites. Eesh. Here we go, Philippians 3.18, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why the cross of Christ? Because the cross hurts. Because the cross is a place where you go, I have to lose everything in that moment to gain everything. Listen, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly or their appetites, the insatiable things that they want to fill their life with, with pleasure, and they glory in their shame with minds set on what? Earthly things. But our citizenship is in where? And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, um, I believe that there is a place in our life, man, where God is saying there's obedience to him and there's obedience to our appetites. And he's calling us in 2024. He's like, hey, it's time to lay down your appetites and go after the things that satisfy only from him. Amen? Amen. Okay, six, real quickly. Serve God and not self. I'm going to say that one again. Serve God and not, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And again, scripture says you can't serve two masters, right? Four things real quick when it comes to serving God and not self. Number one, commit to admit I am powerless to change. I admit it. I can't change on my own. Only God can change me. Amen? Amen. Commit to commit. Commit to admit. Number two, commit to dependence. God, I can't, but you can. So now that I've admitted I can't change myself, I'm committing to dependence. God, I need you. Somebody say, God, I need you. Number three, commit to confession. Once I commit that I need his dependence, I confess. I fall short of the glory of God. Hey, it's okay to say that. It's okay to let your guard down and let your pride down and go, I fall short. Does anybody fall short of the glory of God in this house? No, let's see some hands. Like, so your neighbors see it. Sinner. I'm just kidding. We're saved by grace. Amen? But we're all in the same playing field. Nobody in here is perfect. Nobody. Nobody. Commit to confession. Number four, commit to repentance. I love this. Repentance is not avoiding sin. It's pursuing God. Repentance is not avoiding sin. I'm not, I'm not turning. Remember, repentance is turning away. So I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid my sin. Ugh. That's not what repentance. Repentance is saying I'm turning from my sin and I'm pursuing the one whose life. I'm walking towards him. And then number seven, worship God and not comfort told you we're putting some weight to our confession worship God and not comfort Habakkuk 3:17. though the fig tree should not blossom nor the fruit be on the vines nor the produce of the olive fail and the fields yet 
to, and, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, when everything has fallen apart, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Anybody find worshiping God in the pain difficult? Anybody? And yet what we know, we've talked about this in this house, is that pain actually presses us up against God. I, I read this quote from a pastor who lost his father to cancer. And this pastor was preaching and he says these words, in heaven there will be no more pain or loss or sorrow. In heaven there will be no more trial or trouble or tribulation. So he was talking to his father, so I embrace my moment of pain now and give praise to him in the midst of it because it costs me something. Because that is an offering I'll never have a chance to give him in heaven. Because there's not pain or sorrow or hardship or trouble, because those things will all be gone someday, he goes, this is gonna cost me something. To give him worship now and not worship comfort but worship him, to give him worship now is gonna cost me something because I feel it. But there will be a day when I stand with him face to face and he makes all things new and I've never experienced pain again and never will experience pain again. I'll never be able to give him the kind of sacrifice that I can give him right now. So let me run through that. Seek God, not sin. Fear God, not men. Love God, not the world. Believe God, not the liar, the deceiver. Obey God, not your appetite. Serve God, not self. Worship God, not comfort. Make these seven commitments for 2024. Watch your life get radically changed. Watch your life get radically changed. So here's how we're going to seal it. We're going to seal it because we've got the blood of the Lamb on our side. Somebody say amen. If you've got your communion, pull it out. If you don't have communion, raise your hand. We have ushers coming down the aisles. Ushers, there they are. They're coming down to meet you. And we're gonna take communion, but here's how I wanna take communion. I want you to take a minute, and I know we're over time, but that's okay. It's, we, we've got next year ahead of us, amen? Here's what I wanna do. I wanna spend the rest of our time, five, 10, whatever minutes, the band's gonna sing a song over us, we're gonna recalibrate our heart today. We're gonna find our standard again, the Word of God. We're gonna see where we've deviated off and we're gonna come back to that standard again. We're gonna conform back to His image. Some of you need a recalibration in your heart. Some of you need to make a recommitment to God. Maybe you're just going, I need to recommit. Maybe you've had the love of the world. Maybe you've had the love of self. Maybe you've chased after the pleasures. Maybe you've gone through that list and you're like, man, I fear people, I fear men. And you wanna lay that down and make a recommitment to the Lord today. I wanna encourage you, to, today is your day. Before this next year hits us, let's recommit and recalibrate. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day to day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.